Hello and very welcome to today's event organized by Interella and Modulos. We're talking about AI governance and compliance and issuing a call to action for all of those who are interested today. If you want to join in the conversation online, please do use the hashtag AI governance. My name is Jennifer Baker. I'm an EU policy reporter and I will be your moderator today, putting your questions to our great panelists. Now, we know that the AI Act is up and coming, and it's a great incentive to organizations to get their AI governance in line. But while it's the motivator, there are other very compelling reasons to have a strong AI governance framework, not alone the strength and reputation that trust brings, but also about bringing better AI solutions throughout the entire life cycle of products and services. It can be costly, but we'll be talking about how strong implementation and a good plan from the start can mitigate that and also help avoid difficult and complex compliatory preparatory actions for that AI Act. So expect to hear a lot about that. We will kick off today with a short presentation from our hosts, Interella and Modulus, telling us about their offerings and explaining why the AI Act is this lever that we're talking about. We'll then move into a panel discussion. We'll be using Slido, so you can use that tool to put your questions to our speakers. Simply scan the QR code that you can see there on the screen, or go to slido.com and put in the event code. And remember, try and indicate to whom your question is directed and feel free to ask as many as possible as we will try to get through as many as possible in the next hour or so. With that, I will turn over to our first presenters. We have joining us Sarah Mancini, Senior Manager from Interella Consulting, and Kevin Shavinsky, who is co-founder and CEO of Modulus. Thank you both very much for joining today and for helping to set up this event. Sarah, let's start with you. I'll hand the floor over to you. Tell us about what you're working on, why it's important, and what our audience should take away from this event today. Thank you, and thank you for joining. Um, I'm from I'm Sarah Mancini from Intellera Consulting, which is a, a consultancy company that uh, uh, was born uh, in 2021 from the management buyout of PwC Italy, uh, the line uh, dedicated to public sector and healthcare. Um, from them, from on, on we uh, grew a lot and we leveraged our previous expertise to grow our services. And now we are serving not just the, the public sector in Europe, but directly European institutions and agencies uh, across Europe and beyond. Thanks to this uh, connection uh, and working directly with the Commission, we grew also our services into the AI governance sphere, uh, considering uh, not just uh, the ethical aspects of AI, but also the compliance and the connection with the AI Act. Uh, and also we are uh, delving into this, so helping our clients to better understand the implication of uh, um, the AI Act, the governance of AI and the AI ethics uh, into their own organization. So today here we are uh, uh, here with also our partner modulus and our panelists to uh, 
help the audience understanding better these aspects, uh, understand what does it mean uh, implementing the AI Act or complying with it, and also how governance can be a tool, a powerful tool, uh, to not just comply with the regulations and the ethical aspects, but also improving the efficiency and the better use of the AI. So what we call now the good AI in, uh, in our own uh, services. So I'm very happy to, to be here and welcome everybody. Thank you very much, Sarah. Kevin, over to you to give us the same perspective from the modulus side. Thank you very much. And, and of course, we're very happy to be here with our partners from uh, Intelera. So I'm Kevin Schwinski. I'm the co-founder of Modulus. And Modulus Born is a spin-off from ETH Zurich, uh, one of the top research universities in Europe. And we've been working on a responsible AI platform that was designed from the ground up with the EU AI Act in mind. So our team, we have a, a deep background in data science and machine learning, and we were working on responsible AI, how to make models fairer, how to make data better. And we realized there was a very strong connection to AI governance uh, as outlined by the AI Act. And so we built our platform with that connection in mind, because we know in this new regime of the AI Act that we need to link what data science does to functions from legal risk compliance that uh, now have a much greater role, much more to say about how we build AI products and services. So we build our platform to easily integrate into existing uh, data science workflows, uh, existing data, fly, uh, data science uh, machine learning infrastructure. And we put a particular focus on enabling um, collaboration across teams that's now gonna be required and give organizations the ability to track uh, and give an overview of the risks and the processes that they have dealing with AI. And of course, we have a very strong focus on guidance, on helping our uh, customers and our users to build responsible AI. Those processes in particular are based uh, strongly in those developing technical standards that are built around the AI Act and other regulations so that uh, we can help our uh, customers and the people who work with us to build up the infrastructure for truly trustworthy AI. And so I'm really happy uh, to join Sarah here uh, with you today um, to discuss this uh, really exciting and timely topic. Thank you very much indeed, Kevin. So I think it's time we will introduce our other speakers. We have uh, joining us Yannick Spill, who is the Senior Data Scientist at EFSA, and also Andreas Hauschka, who is the AI Ethics Lead at VDE. Now, unfortunately, due to an unforeseen hitch, another speaker, Jörg Schnelldorfer, who is from Swiss Re, was unable to join us today. However, he did send through a few notes to consider. So he says that AI comes with new challenges to be addressed across the entire analytics lifecycle, from scoping, development, deployment to monitoring. And as a consequence, governance and best practices are in everyone's interest. Because without a proper governance model, risks can cause serious harms. Now, he would have been representing the global reinsurance industry and says that they're impacted by AI regulation across the globe. And it is very much important to get ready now instead of waiting to see how country-specific regulation
population will be shaped. And their current biggest efforts are in translating the AI high-level principles and legal requirements into efficient and appropriate technical requirements. So we have an idea what Jürgen was bringing to the panel had he been able to reach us. But Yannick, let me tell you, uh, let me hand the floor rather to you and hopefully you'll be able to tell us a bit about what's happening from your perspective, what do we need to think about when we think about the AI Act and maybe give us an idea of how it fits into the global landscape. Thank you. Uh, thank, I, I would like to thank the, the organizers for inviting me here. I, I, I would first want to set the scene explaining that uh, EFSA, the European Food Safety Authority, what we do is provide independent scientific advice on, on food-related risks. So we inform European laws, rules and policy making. And, and I, I would like you to note that we don't do policy making. This is not uh, in our remit. What we do is uh, on food and feed safety, nutrition, animal health, plant protection and plant health, we uh, gather scientific data and expertise and we provide independent and up-to-date scientific advice on food safety issues. And then we communicate it to the scientific, uh, to, to the public. Now we started our, our, our journey on AI um, uh, 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 a number of years back, there was a decisive step uh, in 2020 when uh, we released a theme paper on AI and risk assessment, which then followed with a, a roadmap for AI on, on 2022, in which uh, a number of recommendations were made, uh, some specific to uh, evidence management and others uh, which uh, were turned horizontal uh, to enable AI uh, in, in, in an organization like ours in EFSA. Now, my role here is, uh, is implementing uh, part of these recommendations and uh, uh, with the help of uh, our contractors from uh, Intellera, we're implementing this uh, new AI governance framework uh, for EFSA. I believe it's particularly uh, uh, important to have um, a, a proper uh, AI governance framework because there is um, it's for it's for several reasons. First of all, AI is not IT, uh, and and so in that sense, uh, we need to build capacity and understanding that there's uh, that AI has its specificities compared to data or IT governance, and we need to 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 find some space for these specificities. Um, there is also uh, a very quickly evolving AI landscape and, and, and uh, an organization like ours has to build in the agility to follow that landscape and also, of course, the, the challenges that are associated with that. And, uh, and, and so, therefore, we need to have the proper processes and competencies and people uh, to, 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 to follow up on that. Thank you very much, Yannick, and we will come back to you a little bit in, in more detail about what's uh, involved in implementing an AI governance framework. But Andreas, let me turn to you. Um, ethics and AI, it's a huge area. Try and nail down for us a bit about what you're working on and how that relates to VDE and the, and, and the rest of the, uh, the AI world. Yes, 
you are on mute, we can't hear you. I realized it. <laughs> uh, now I'm on mute. Uh, thank you. Um, thank you for the invitation um, and quickly to introduce you. My name is Andreas Hauschke and I work at VDE and we are um, involved in standardization uh, in Germany and also mirroring uh, the committees in Europe. Um, therefore, I work closely together with the chair of JTC21, which is also uh, at VDE. And we try to look what is the future of the AI standardization. So we know how to, to lay down uh, the principles which need to be followed in AI. And additionally, we try to, and I always say, to define what trustworthiness of AI actually means, which is not an easy topic, but not just stop there and also make products or um, guidelines, which actually shows like how to build trustworthy AI systems. And therefore, we um, one project we are doing is the AI trust label, where we try to build a label which uh, shows for five to six uh, different principles um, what the AI system actually is, how trustworthy the AI system is. And uh, underlying of this is a standard which is totally transparent and can be downloaded right now. Um, and additionally, I, in my work, I'm um, the technical lead of the AI trust label and also of Kitka, which is a project to define what good quality of AI training data actually means and also make, to make it accessible for a huge audience. And additionally, I'm uh, part of a consortium which tried to build a safety case for autonomous rail application. Thank you. Thank you, Andrea. So I think we've got a sense of where everyone's coming from. So let's start diving into some of the, the more detailed elements. Kevin, tell me how you're going to translate the new AI regulatory frameworks and link new governance setups to technical requirements within your AI development. Yeah, this is actually the really, really hard part because you're trying to bridge what, on the one hand, um, texts written by, by lawyers, people with a legal background, and you have to get those all the way to code. And, and there are several steps in between, and an important one, of course, are the, the technical standards that define the processes of how a product or a, a service like a, that's AI-based should be built. And that translation is hard because uh, the translation isn't one-to-one. -one. Oh, if, you, if your model needs to be fair, as an example, everybody uh, would like their model to be fair. The AI Act says a model should be fair. You already run against a, a problem that the translation of the meaning of fair is not obvious. You and I might have different definitions of what it means, uh, let alone how to measure it, and let alone how to then uh, change a model, how to mitigate uh, a bias in an unfair model. And so that process needs to be formalized, needs to be captured so that when organizations set themselves the goal, yeah, we want to build AI products and services that, that, that are fair, that don't minimize discrimination. Um, how we do that, how we do it consistently, and how we check that what, 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 uh, what we develop meets our internal standards and meets the standards of the regulator. And that process, of course, if you're, if you're building a single product in a, in, a, in a SMU or a startup, already is extremely challenging. If you then scale it to a large organization that has many different types of products developed by different teams in different countries, it becomes very, very challenging. And so that's why we're building the infrastructure to support that 
process. Well, I'm going to come back, Yannick, to you because you have the experience at uh, EFSA in implementing this AI governance roadmap uh, that, uh, that Kevin was sort of alluding to there. Tell us about your experience in taking the step-by-step -step path uh, to implementing a framework. What are, where do we start and, and what are the key roadmap points along the way in, in delivering? Well, I, I should first say we're not done implementing it. Uh, we're still in the process of understanding. <laughs> I see Sarah nodding. Uh, understanding indeed how we want to how we want to do that. We're going to make a, a first proposal by the end of this year to our management. Um, but since it's such a step in the unknown, I would say uh, engagement is the key. So we started with uh, with with uh, an extensive external and internal engagement to try to understand what the different uh, aspects of that AI governance could be. And um, I think one particular uh, aspect that crystallized our attention early on was uh, that of uh, managing AI-related risk the points that uh, that Andreas just mentioned, or um, and and and, uh, and 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 so uh, understanding well the the, the 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 biases that we could have, or having at least a framework that captures these risks and and and, and plans for, for for mitigating actions. That was, I think, uh, uh, something that that started making it really uh, very concrete. Uh, so, so, so we now have a, have a, an actual way of uh, developing a, a AI projects, well, or products that contain AI, and and we have a way to follow uh, uh, what 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 has to be under our radar essentially, to 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 make sure that we're compliant and 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 also that we can embark on more uh, appropriate uh, mitigation. Uh, actions. Well, Yannick, you, you made a, a, an interesting uh, Freudian slip there, and we may come back to talk about AI products versus products that contain AI. That might be something that we can dig into, but I want to go to Sarah next. Uh, let's talk organizational change, Sarah. I mean, how do organizations need to adapt in order to encompass what really are multi-stakeholder processes, and how do they assess and evaluate the risks introduced by AI, and then what does that mean in terms of how an organization adapts? Yeah, so it's also nice to answer to this question after Yannick introduction, because I think that the project that we are running together is really uh, interesting because, uh, as you are saying, the um, uh, engagement uh, internal and external was a key point, a key starting point in this project. But I think that the internal engagement is fundamental because uh, uh, governance of AI really addresses uh, the whole organization. So if you think about the AI life cycle, you need to address the strategy. So how you decide where and when to use AI and how. Uh, then you need to address also how you want to develop uh, the, the solutions. So, so uh, 
both internally and with the external providers and uh, uh, solution providers and uh, partners. So this entails uh, the procurement side, and this is another process that is uh, uh, that needs to be revised when. Um, when uh, talking about AI governance, but internally, if you want to develop your own solution, you need to address the IT department, the innovation department, because it's really connected to how you want to innovate, and uh, uh, and also the uh, the data scientists, the ones that are uh, key for uh, the AI development. So you need you need to understand the different units, the different organizational structures that are needed and how they are already ready or how they need to change to ensure that there is a unique or standardized approach as was mentioned already in the previous interventions and then the final step let's say in the life cycle but if you think about the eye this is not the final it's just a part of a of a cycle that goes on and on is the part on um, operations uh, and management. This, uh, again, in different organizations is uh, uh, managed by different type of units. And again, you need also to understand what are the needs there, how and how ready they are, and also the technology that they have uh, also across the, the development and so on. So you need also to understand the IT departments, uh, the IT te the technology that is there, if it's, uh, again, made for purpose or could be adapted or not. So uh, organizational-wise, it's really an effort. <laughs> and, uh, um, and also, if you think about the AI Act, uh, some of the requirements are really uh, needed at the different uh, points uh, of the value chain, internal value chain or AI life cycle. So we mentioned the risk management. Probably many organizations will have already some practices, some processes, some structures ready for risk management. And you need to understand if those are or can be adapted to AI risks. So again, you need to understand your starting point, doing some gap analysis, understanding what's AI or why AI is different, and then plan for what to change and prioritize. I think this is fundamental because if you think about the, the, the big and pervasive impacts, you need to understand, okay, where do I start? Uh, and I think risk management is one of the uh, starting points because it's one of the key requirements from the IAP, but it's also an encompassing principle because then all the risks can be tracked along the ILS cycle. Sarah, thank you. Kevin, let me come back to you because in your last response, you raised the issue of fairness. Now, this is obviously a complex topic. Um, how do you think organizations, in particular SMEs, should address responsible and ethical AI practices? Help us nail down what you mean by fairness in practice. So in, in practice, it's very interesting. There's actually only one country that has a quantitative standard for fairness. And you know, we're all here talking about the what the EU is doing and, and what the AI will do. The only country has a quanti quantitative standard for fairness that's part of law is the United States with um, uh, disparate impact. It's actually part of the old civil rights legislation. So the, the challenge that European SME startups, but actually everyone who grapples with this topic has is they 
they don't know what to do. What does it mean for a model to be fair? There's not an agreed on standard what that means. And to be honest, the reality is that there will be quite a while for during which companies will struggle with this because on the one hand, the regulator and the lawmaker needs to catch up and explain what does, what does gender equality mean in national legislation and how would you translate that to AI? This is not at all clear. And then as an additional step, which is also going to be maybe even more challenging is that companies are going to be forced to confront what their values are. You know, what do, what do they as a value think uh, fairness means that they bake into their products, turn into code? You know, when, when, you, when, you're, uh, um, uh, when you have to turn your values into, into code, you have to be extremely explicit. You cannot um, uh, dodge the question anymore. And so this is going to be a process. Um, it's going to take iteration. And uh, I, I believe, at least during this initial phase over the next maybe two, three years, uh, the regulator will also be very um, uh, open to what community standards, industry standards uh, will be developed. And as long as you make an effort to solve the problem of fairness or to mitigate the problem of bias as much as you can, uh, you'll be on the right side. Later on, we might have a much more well-defined quantitative uh, regime where we know what uh, the answer to these questions really is. Andreas, then let me come to you and ask you about the role of standards. So what role do standards play firstly in AI governance and then in helping to deliver this fairness that Kevin is talking about? Okay, I think uh, first of all, it's really important to understand that um, when you fall under the high risk category in the AI Act, then there will be so-called harmonized standards, which you can follow, and then you will have a presumption of conformity. I think that is, is a baseline we should all know. And um, then the standards will show a way how to prove the abstract requirements which are in the AI Act, and to prove, for example, that you have a good risk management. And on this point, I agree to Sarah that uh, the risk management will be the main part in the standardization, which will be like the head of all the other standards. Um, and then in, in the risk management, you need to keep into account that you have good quality data, that you don't have bias data, and all the other high-risk requirements, and also uh, the cybersecurity requirements. On the um, fairness issue, I need to say one thing, like standardization can define processes to find like presumptions or to, to, to show something, but it cannot define what fair is. Actually, the fairness definition or what fairness means needs to become from a democratic process and cannot be defined in standardization. So just if, if we had a, a definition of fairness, then we could maybe build a, a, a process to find if we align to this one. But I think um, it will not help to come from an abstract point like fairness. We should try to chop the problem down and start with mitigating risks. And uh, we should define actually what, like when we start from fairness, what fairness-related uh, risks would be, like, for example, discrimination and what kind of discrimination. And then I think it would make the discussion way more handleable than just focus on the, on the uh, 
abstract definition of fairness. This is what happens, Andreas, when we have conversations between policy people and engineers and technical people. We need to nail down the language that we're all using. Sarah, let me come back to you um, and ask you then to, to try and help me nail down some of these uh, things. Um, what are, in your view, the key pillars of responsible AI? Yeah, I mean, responsible AI and I mean, in Europe, <laughs> it's even called, uh, uh, what well, it's mandate, we call it, say, trustworthy AI. So they are real near concepts um, that uh, uh, they address uh, um, something that is broader than uh, uh, what we are discussing as the AI Act and uh, legal aspects or uh, compliance aspects of uh, AI. So they uh, address uh, what uh, is into the legal requirements uh, and not just the AI Act, but also if you think about that AI will be integrated into solutions, products, services in other uh, in sectors, uh, which means uh, financial services, uh, energy, utilities, whatever. So the first uh, principle is to remain compliant with the regulations that are in those sectors. So this is like the main overarching uh, uh, principle, that if you want. Uh, then you need to comply, yes, with these basic requirements, but uh, trustworthy means or responsible I means uh, to be, to have something that is reliable. Reliable in uh, all sense or possible sense. So it means that you have uh, performances that are, uh, um, I mean, at the overall uh, some thresholds uh, that are, uh, that could be reliant for the business user, right? So you can trust the application, that the application is performing as mandated and it's going to behave in this way over, over, over again in the future. So it's not that it will be changed uh, the, the behavior a day from the next one. And if you think about machine learning uh, algorithms that can continue to, to learn from data over time, this is a very important point. So first of all, is trust in the sense of performances and achievement of the objectives. Then you need to trust these applications in the terms of impact on society. Uh, this was a good point from fairness uh, and uh, uh, what was mentioned in Andreas as the democratic uh, meaning of what is fairness, right? So you need to at least try to make this solution with a good impact or reduce the bad impacts that these solutions can uh, introduce, right? So it's a trust towards the society. Uh, so in this way, responsible is even broader if you want, but it's uh, also connected to accountability. So uh, then in the end, overall, if anything bad happens, who is in charge? Who is responsible for that? So I think that trustworthy or responsible AI are these broad concepts uh, that uh, uh, contain these different aspects and then introduce governance as, a, I, I, I like to say it, as a practical way of ensuring or helping to bring trustworthiness or, or responsibility into practice.
Yannick, let me come back to you because we, we we're talking a bit here about uh, well the nebulous terms, trying to nail down some of them which are defined, some of them which aren't. Responsibility, transparency, uh, risk is one that is being defined as closely as it can be within the AI Act. Um, tell me a bit about the work that EFS is doing and where you fall on the risk spectrum. Because obviously food safety is a, a huge safety area. It's a big, important part of people's lives. But what sort of AI tools are you using? Are they generative AI? Are they predictive AI? Give me a sense of what exactly day-to-day -day you're working on and working with. Yes. Well, we are all wondering where we will fall in the AI uh, scale of risks. And in particular at the Food Safety Authority, we wonder whether any of our uh, AI applications would be labeled as high risk just because uh, we deal with food safety. So, uh, but I guess this is uh, this is this is still an open question, and and we will see how in practice uh, we can we, we we can we can understand that once the once the law passes. Um, we are exploring any types of AI, of course, uh, as probably everyone here around the table and in the globe, we have been experimenting with ChatGPT. Uh, I, I think it's fair to say also that that uh, we, we we have been uh, 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 not disappointed by it, but it's it's kind of we we gained a better understanding of its limits. And, uh, and and so that makes it also more uh, understandable as a tool. Uh, we understand better what we can and cannot ask it. So now we're, we, we have to see uh, whether there's a space for it in the types of work that we do. Uh, our approach to AI in EFSA uh, is, is uh, fundamentally human-centric. Uh, we want to uh, use AI but we want always a human to have the final word. So the way uh, the way we see AI is as a as a tool to essentially accelerate uh, your work, cut on the on the repetitive tasks, and and put you in front of the decision point with all the keys. Now, of course, these keys have not have to be unbiased, and this is where uh, we we have to be able to evaluate the bias in our data, the bias in our algorithms, the whether our, our, our algorithms remain also in the, in, in the unbiased form we designed them to be. And these are all challenges that I think we're going to start exploring. I, I wanted also to jump on, on, on one point on, on fairness that was made earlier. Um, I think it's going to be very interesting also for the research community to 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 explore these aspects because similarly to what has been done in the past for autonomous vehicles where uh, people have been asked what is the most ethical choice to do should i run over the grandmother or should i run over the two the two kids um uh, we're, we're going to uncover a lot of new uh, ethical dilemmas and i think research will help us uh, to figure out what is the the, the best uh uh, or, or the or, or the least worst uh, choice to make. So so this is all an ongoing. Uh, it's it's all in progress, and I'm really. I think it's going to be exciting years ahead. 
Well, that's a good word to hear on a discussion about AI. Exciting is a more positive way of looking at it because there are certainly some headlines and some, and some fear-mongering a bit around generative AI, Kevin. I saw you nodding there uh, along. I'd like to get your sense of what are the specific risks associated with uh, generative AI? How can organizations cope with those and mitigate those? And, and where should they not be afraid? Uh, tell us a little bit, also dig into the difference between predictive AI and generative AI, because uh, it's, it's easy to conflate the two. Mm -hmm. Sure, so let me uh, start start with the, the definition first. So the sort of classical machine learning, and I'm uh, amused that it's now classical machine learning, even though it was extremely hot even just a few years ago, um, makes uh, decisions or predictions. So should, should you get a loan or what should we price the ticket for your next flight at? So these uh, machine learning algorithms would learn from data and then make a decision or a forecast. Now, generative AI is this idea that we prompt often a very, very complex uh, AI system that is much less well understood than these classical machine learning algorithms and um, generate text or image or even combinations of those. So. Obviously, if you've tried ChatGPT or, or, or the alternatives that have been placed on the market now, um, it's like talking to, to a person or interacting with a, with a person. And these systems are extremely powerful and, and they have lots of risks associated with them. So I want to tell a little anecdote here because a few weeks ago I was lecturing um, on AI regulation and uh, AI Act at a business school. And it was a course for, for managers, experienced managers who are driving the digital transformation in, in, in their companies, in their global enterprises. And um, I spoke to, to a manager at a big company and I asked him, well, do you have any uh, use cases for generative AI that you're running? Yes, yes. We have uh, um, our internal version of a, a Gen AI chat algorithm. And uh, we started using it for uh, improving our employee evaluations. And so if my, my, my jaw hit the floor when I realized um, they're using a system that they have not at all characterized or understood uh, in a way that directly impacts the careers, both positive and negative, um, of their employees. And this is at the heart of what the AI Act would consider a high-risk application where all this these questions of risk management, quality management, fairness, bias, actually ought to be addressed. And so I understand there's a huge economic pressure and there's a huge uh, pressure from, from management in companies to, to adopt generative AI, to bring it to lots of different functions and businesses, whether internal or external. Um, and that pressure uh, is currently leading many, many institutions to, to skip the necessary steps. And so the AI Act actually puts on those uh, best practices, those limitations and those guardrails so that this uh, very new technology, very difficult to understand and control, is used in uh, a, yeah, a safer, more sensible way. Um, so yeah, if you think about using generative AI internal or external in your organization, think about the AI governance first and then think about your upcoming legal requirements. Thank you, Kevin. Um, I'm going to come back, Andreas, to talk a little bit more about uh, standards again, because I'm interested to know a bit more from your perspective about the development of standards. How are they developed in a fair, inclusive way? 
does it alter how a standard is developed, whether we're talking about an AI standard that's generative AI, whether it's, it's not generative AI. Tell me about the approach to setting standards. Mm -hmm. Can I first answer to the question of Kevin, uh, to one point of Kevin, because I think it's quite interesting. Um, and I try to set down like the, the problems like from classical AI and generative AI because like the problems to to mitigate risk in those both fields is quite different because in classical AI in, in safety ma uh, risk management you usually start by defining the intended use then you define what harms the system can do and then you try to mitigate these harms and then you look at the end is the system is the system safe is the risk acceptable and in classical AI for me it's also strange to say classical AI it's um, it's uh, really hard to get a number if the risk is lowered. We, we really don't. We really don't have enough uh, like processes to define. Okay, now the system will fail in this or this case. It's really hard. Uh, and when we come to generative AI, we don't even have the first step of uh, safety of the safety case. We don't even have the intended purpose because in generative AI, the possibilities are infinite. And therefore, we cannot even start with a safety case. And uh, therefore, it's really hard to, to define what safe actually means. And I think especially trustworthy AI principles can maybe bridge the gap until we have processes for that. And to, to catch up on standardization. So um, how does standardization actually works? Um, so usually, you uh, have a group of experts which want to solve a problem. <laughs> they, they, they want to solve a problem in the standardized way. And uh, we can take an example. Uh, we, we take the risk management for the AI Act. OK, um, we have a system, and we want to define how can we classify the risk of an AI system. And therefore, they, they gather all the knowledge they can and then they try collaboratively uh, standard. And actually, we need to know that um, standardization is an international process. And they try to sh show how the European process interacts with the international process. And therefore, standardization takes long, but not long for what it achieves. Actually, because like when we have a standard, for example, ISO, IEC, uh, I don't know, 20, 26, 26, 2, which is for, for uh, automobile. It is an international standard. Every country in the world agreed on these standards. So actually, it's a real, really uh, big effort to build a standard like this. What is happening regarding the AI Act is that the European Union called the European um, sensitization agencies to and now the order is important to identify, adapt, or build standards which apply to the AI Act. So it's really important that Sensenleg first tries to identify other international standards, which means that if they use international standards, then it will not be an isolated EU solution. It will uh, actually be an international solution. And when you look, for example, for the FDA in America, they will also call for international standards. So the European AI Act will not be limited just to Europe. But interesting is the part when there is no international standard 
or the international standard is not enough for the European requirements. And then JGC21 needs to start working and look, how can we adapt this standard? And I think it will happen on, on some different standards um, and then adapt them. And just if no international standard exists, then they will start from the ground and build European standards. But it's right now in the process and uh, the harmonized standards will need some time to actually be released. So just as a follow-up question, um, we know the EU is very keen to, if you like, export its values, as we saw with GDPR that felt that by getting a head start on the data protection question, it would actually set the agenda for the rest of the world. Do you think the same sort of thing is going to happen with the AI Act, and is this why the EU is trying to get ahead of the game? I can just speak for sanitization here, and I think... Um, if the EU now with the AI Act, they give a really big push into standardization. They really say, okay, we want that standards are important and that you work on standards. And therefore we can influence the international standardization world, hopefully most by good ideas, though then that we can build better international standards. And then the transmission uh, process would be that if the European companies worked on these standards, then they know how to how to apply to them. And then they would have a competitive advantage. Yeah, that's how it could play out. Yeah. Well, thank you. I'm going to turn uh, to a question from our audience. And I will remind everybody watching that you can use the Slido app to join and ask your questions of our panel. You can go to slido.com and put in the hashtag AI governance if you want to send a question. Uh, the first question I have here is from Beatrice Miano, which is a question for everyone on the panel. But Sarah, I will start with you. How would you approach the fundamental rights impact assessment envisaged in the AI Act? What steps would you suggest that companies should take both from an internal and an external perspective? That's a question we've had from Slido. And of course, if you have your own questions, scan the QR code on the screen. But Sarah, let me turn to you firstly to, to tell us what's your advice on the uh, impact assessment. Tough question, actually. <laughs> um, <laughs> because this is actually one of the points that was uh, really discussed uh, along the process of the AI Act um, uh, approval, let's say. So uh, at the beginning, it was uh, added and uh, there was also not so much extended research on how to do it. So I think it was a good idea to put it there since the beginning, because in the meantime, in these two years, and so um, researchers already started um, proposing methodologies to assess uh, this kind of impact, so because it's not easy. Uh, if we if we think about uh, uh, risks that we discussed, uh, risk or impact on uh, human rights, uh, it's even harder because uh, uh, first of all, human rights. Yes, there are some uh, charters that are uh, shared or or uh, um, adopted in different countries. But again, it comes again the topic of. Uh, ethics or values that are different across the, the cultures. So uh, it is something that uh, um, 
it's already controversial. So, but if we think about Europe, uh, let's say that we we have our own, and um, uh, then measuring uh, the impacts on the rights, uh, uh, it's always uh, a tough question. It's always hard to define how to do it or to measure it. So, what I've seen is uh, that uh, methodologies that are being in these years, consider uh, engagements between who develops or who adopts a solutions and the ultimated uh, user, so who is impacted, in order to really get from them what is the perceived impact towards the right. Uh, so this is a, a way to, to, uh, to start estimating these impacts which is not always very feasible. If you think about uh, uh, how these solutions, uh, uh, or uh, as mentioned by some of my panel colleagues here, uh, the, the, the speed that is needed to adopt AI, uh, it's not always uh, something that you could do to contact, uh, to understand who are the, the impacted users, uh, to, con to engage with them, to do some real work together, it's something that is really challenging and also cost effective. I mean, it costs a lot. It takes a lot of time, a lot of resources. So it's uh, something that needs to be, I don't know, balanced probably. Uh, other ways in which I saw try to understanding this impact is through uh, consumer um, organizations like. Uh, uh, associations so you get in contact with them you try to work with them and you try to work on standard use cases so that you have an idea on how to model this kind of impact so i think it's it's a kind of research uh, area that is uh, that has been started in these years and i think uh, it will be uh, seeing some results uh, in these uh, upcoming years uh, also because of the need that is uh, there for the IAT. and i don't know this is for andreas if there will be also some standard <laughs> to help on implementing this request <laughs> andreas do you want to answer right now there is no standardization request so <laughs> So there is no work on on the fundamental right impact assessment. <laughs> Not yet, anyway. Uh, this no. is why we love questions from our audience, because often they are quite tricky. Kevin, I don't know if you want to add anything on this question about how to, to cope with the fundamental rights impact assessment. I can only uh, support what Sarah said here. This is going to be very challenging. And then the absence of clearer guidance in the form of standards, or at least um, from from the legislator, this is going to be a, a large task and a challenging task for um, organizations who want to build AI in a safe and trustworthy way. Well, we're getting into definitely the, the elements of the AI Act. I see some more questions coming in. So, Kevin, let me ask you in general, just to, before we start getting the audience questions, what do you see as being the challenges and opportunities, the concerns, your, your overall assessment of the AI Act as, as it stands, because we don't still know exactly what it's going to look like in practice. So I think the, the biggest criticism uh, that I've heard fairly broadly is that the AI Act will stifle innovation 
and that it basically just adds cost uh, that will make it particularly hard for startups and SMEs to compete and it will basically entrench the, the big tech players because they, they can cope and play the, the regulatory capture game. And uh, I want to disagree actually on two very different fronts. So first, the, the AI Act fundamentally in spirit is consumer protection. So uh, the fact that, that legislators and regulators came and said cars need to be safe, they need to have airbags and safety belts and, and um, those, uh, collision zones and, and all that, that's a good thing because as, as a consumer, if I buy a car, I don't need to go research, well, is this thing safe if I have a crash or uh, will it kill me? So I think the same thing should be true of AI. I should have some presumption of... Uh, interacting with AI systems that that actually will rule my life and determine my my, my chances in life, that these at some fundamental level are, are safe to use. And so I would actually demand that. On another level, I think people uh, who, who say, well, this will stifle innovation are actually thinking about it the, the wrong way. This is a huge opportunity. So if you get started today on building as, as far as is possible towards the standards that the AI Act sets, you're actually uh, protecting your innovation and you're making it harder for those who didn't take those steps, particularly if they're from outside the EU, to compete with you. And so the analogy I would draw here is with uh, information security certification. So if you're, if you're building software for, um, for business customers, B2B software, uh, you wanna be certified at some level that, that you have information security systems in place. And, and the AI Act will be similar. Like your customers will demand, you know, is, is your, even if it's not a high risk application, they will say, you know, do you meet the standards of high risk so that if you use your product or we license your product, that it's going to be safe to use. So if you start building to the standards now, you're actually going to have a competitive advantage. Well, you've touched on something that um, Yannick alluded to earlier on, which was the question of, uh, uh, what is an AI service or an AI product and what isn't? I mean, we don't see labeling on the box saying may contain traces of AI. So, Yannick, I'd like to come to you and ask, you know, I know EFSA isn't necessarily delivering products in the same way as private enterprise, but as a data scientist, what do you see as most problematic in the AI Act? Or what do you see, as, as Kevin is, is pointing out, that there, there are elements that could be beneficial? Well, um, I think I, I personally welcome this 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 act because um, I, I completely agree with uh, with Kevin on the point that it helps you to innovate without fear. Um, since it's consumer oriented, uh, the 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 demonstration that it's safe is to be made only at the at the at the end, so it doesn't. I mean, you can you can experiment uh, in house, and and also, I mean, I don't understand the details, but I understand that they 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 there's a they plan to have sandboxes also that help you develop uh, these AI algorithms in a safe way, also for high risk applications. So I think uh, from from the perspective of uh, of companies who want to develop new uh, AI uh, tools, it places them, I mean, it secures the investment they're gonna make because they will not make it to uh, something that might risk to turn out uh, uh, to, be, to be forbidden. 
there's an actual framework that will tell them if you do face recognition in the public, um, it's 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 not going to fly. So so I think knowing these things helps you from the start design uh, AI solutions uh, in, in a way that you will not lose your money. Uh, uh, I mean, because you you would you will simply not take that path. And I think that th th this is very this is very reassuring. Well, thank you very much. Um, I, I was going to say that uh, one of our uh, online viewers, Louise de Jong, has very helpfully told us that if you speak Dutch, an impact assessment for human rights is being developed in the Netherlands. And you can find that at dataschool.nl forward slash IAMA. So dataschool.nl IAMA. That's advice from an audience member for those who are looking for it. Um, but let me, Sarah, come back to you and ask you about how we ensure that data science practices are aligned with those regulatory requirements, particularly as they may shift and change, because we don't know yet what exactly the regulatory requirements might be. So should companies go further than they anticipate the eventual ruling being, or should they perhaps adopt a wait and see? Should we be looking at sandboxes? Give me your assessment of, of what you do when you don't really know where the regulation is going. So it's true that the regulation uh, has not been finalized yet, but it will be soon. <laughs> uh, but some key pillars are fixed in the stones. So you can start from those. We were talking about the risk, uh, uh, the risk management uh, framework that is required. And this is not going to be changed <laughs> in the future. So uh, you need to start from there or there are some other aspects that will not change over time. So some requirements, uh, again, for example, improving the or addressing data quality uh, and data fairness and uh, so on. So some pillars are already defined. There are a few points that are still open and on those you can wait a bit. But I think it's needed to start now, not just uh, implement, I mean, implementing the, those points that I was mentioning, but also start starting building the um, culture. So I think here we are all knowledge about these topics because it's uh, uh, we are here and then we are interested and we know it uh, a bit. But uh, I see that uh, in many organizations, uh, these conversations are confined uh, between four walls, not uh, spread in the overall organization. So you can start building the culture, start spreading the word, so that uh, when you will be then in the point in developing the whole uh, compliance actions and so on, you will have a favorable environment. So, and in the meantime, if you start building the culture, people and especially data scientists will, uh, as, as we were saying here, uh, get the interest in understanding what are the techniques that are available. They will start uh, testing them. They will start uh, uh, trying to see how to uh, make more interpretable applications or how to mitigate biases or how to ensure uh, uh, cybersecurity or, or robustness in the future. So I think uh, you can start already right now. And then once we will have the, um, the act finalized, then you can go into the details of it. But it's not needed to wait longer. And governance.
I mean, now we are talking about the IAC, but I think governance goes beyond that and, and it's including all these aspects like change management, uh, uh, trainings, and so on. So, Sorry, let me turn now, Andres, uh, to you. Um, we have a question here from Thomas Barrow um, asking to what extent do you think that at this stage harmonized standards on AI will not be a burden on startups and SMEs? Um, do you have any concern that standards would leave the ground to already established providers with the human resources and the financial resources and, the, and all the resources that you might want to comply with instead of promoting innovative solutions. Um, can you address that? It, it's a commonly held belief, um, whether it's a fallacy or not, that sometimes the additional burdens on SMEs are too much. Yeah. Uh, two things. I want to start actually with the act on itself and come then back to the harmonized standards. I think when we talk about like over bureaucratization, we a lot of us have the GDPR in mind, where we had the where we have the legal document and nobody really knows how to comply with the GDPR. What is really great about the AI Act when the AI Act is in place after two years, then you will get the standards, and the standards are actually like a here's a document how to comply to the AI Act. So it's it's like a recipe you can follow to comply the AI Act. So actually, it's way better than previous uh, legislation in this regards. Um, regarding the uh, harmonized standards, so actually, the standards will not be something like uh, like a standard which says, okay, the AI system needs to be have like. 2 million nodes and it needs to be built this or that way, actually it's a way to prove something. It's not like which which tells you you need to build the system exactly this way. So it will be a guidance which helps you how to build a system. And actually, if you look into the standards, they really have uh, knowledge inside which helps you to build teams and how to, to build structures so actually, I think it could improve the the uh, innovativeness of startups, and I think it's not a hindrance. So. Thank you. I mean, we remember well a lot of the scaremongering around the GDPR and uh, thoughts that it was going to break the internet, but last time we checked, the internet is still alive and well and kicking. Um, and thanks to the internet, we have another question in from our audience. Um, Leslie Homig-Calvart is asking, what would be your recommendations for the co-legislators to ensure that the AI governance rules, which are still a negotiation point in the AI Act, are efficient and clear enough to ensure compliance? So roughly, what should the framework look like? Kevin, do you want to tackle that? It's a, it's, it's a broad question, but I'd be interested to know your thoughts. I think the, the biggest challenge here, and, and I think the legislator are very much aware of this, is that they're legislating a topic that's moving at an incredible speed. So the, the, the velocity at which new research, new techniques, new technology is being developed, published, and spread through the internet, often open source, um, has basically, you know, without sounding too dramatic, it has no precedent. And so there's a fundamental mismatch between the timescale at which legislation and, and regulation operates and the speed at which this technology is moving. And so the biggest challenge 
will be to write a set of laws and then turn those into regulations that are future-proof. And so uh, I'm reminded just of one debate that happened during the development of the AI Act, which is the definition of AI, which, which was quite contentious, being conscious of the, the point I raised, that it should be future-proof because we don't know six months from now what the smart people thinking about this and working on this will develop. Thank you. Um, we're drawing towards the end of our conversation, so I want to come a little bit full circle, Yannick, coming back to you. Um, I asked you about what you were working on at EFSA and I mentioned that the AI Act was a, a key motivator in establishing an AI governance framework. Can you tell me where you are on that road? I know it's not established yet, you're not fully there because you don't know where you're going to fall on the risk spectrum for AI, but was it the AI Act that was the driving force, or are you seeing the other benefits now as you go about steps towards implementation? Well, I think we we embarked early on on on, on the AI uh, path, as I as I sketched out before uh, in, in my introduction. In my introduction, um, the thing is, uh, there's a big gap between exploring the use of AI and using AI in production. And uh, being from the from the regulatory perspective, the compliance perspective, but also in the uh, in the, uh, the the IT processes and ensuring that that these AI systems, which are sometimes very fine-tuned and complicated machinery, that they scale to the production constraints, and that they that they consistently deliver the way you. The data scientists delivered them, and we know that there's a lot of uh, steps to bring these models to production. And and this is something where 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 we didn't start. We will start to do this next year uh, because we we first wanted to have a, a framework, and of course it it all depends on on the maturity of your organization from the from the IT point of view, um, because um, it, it, it fundamentally touches on the aspects of change management that I mentioned before. We introduce new practices. The, the need for agility uh, is something, uh, I mean, can we have, uh, can developing, developing IT tools is expensive, that is clear. Acquiring them uh, sometimes is also very expensive. And uh, we know that AI changes very rapidly. So the temptation to replace uh, these algorithms with newer ones that come out uh, is very big. Yet we have to find a way to, 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 to incorporate these new changes in a lean way that doesn't involve us to redo the whole processes of analysis and, and evaluation. So I think this is the real challenge um, and, and, and we will see how we tackle that. I saw you nodding. I'm sure you will agree that scalability and adaptability are key. Um, so for you, tell me what do you see as the main challenges you face when supporting the revision and setting up of processes necessary for the implementation of an AI governments framework?
this is something that an organization needs to want collectively. And, uh, and so first and foremost, it's about understanding the business benefits and, uh, and, and why, uh, why there's so much added value in these tools. And if that is clear, and I think it, it, it's, it's a big effort to, to, to understand why, because you have to go really in the details of every technological aspect. We're doing that with ontologies right now, for example. It's a very complicated thing, uh, and but once you pinpoint these uh, these business benefits, and you convince all important stakeholders in your organization, then moving forward becomes easier. And I think we're we're just starting to see that happen right now in EFSA, and I'm very happy about it. Uh, and Sarah, the, the same question to you. I'm sure you would echo a lot of what Yannick says. Uh, yeah, so um, also because we are doing this journey together, so <laughs> we are uh, uh, really in the moment in which we we are seeing some uh, developments, right? Um, yeah, so uh, I agree with you, Nick, with the vision governance of AI. Again, it addresses the compliance and ethical or trustworthy AI aspects of it, but it goes beyond and uh, in fact uh, many of the challenges are related also on how this is managed within the organization with respect to normal or other technologies now we are all talking about ai i think there is uh, and kevin just mentioned it when talking about generative ai like a, a real push to use it but then the question and yannick mentioned it is is it really the right technology for the problem we have. I think this is one of the main questions that we need to help organization address and governance is, uh, is like the overarching framework for it. So, and now we're talking about AI, but uh, again, can we mention it? Tomorrow will be maybe another technology. Maybe it will be quantum computing uh, or uh, whatever. So. Uh, I think we need to take the chance of uh, uh, putting in place a governance for AI that is also future-proof and adaptable for other technologies. So, and this again uh, resonates with what Yannick was saying about uh, uh, scalability, uh, about uh, using the technology as uh, uh, in the, the business as usual, or not just by projects that then are again confined to a limited time period uh, and not uh, in, in a like a normal or uh, recurrent way, right? So I think this is are the main challenges and the main driver for uh, a governance, so that you address these challenges now and you are ready for the future. And concerning the AI Act, this uh, also is connected with uh, starting uh, preparing for it, uh, um, reducing also the effort uh, of compliance. So uh, I think it's a bit broader, let's say, of that. Well, thank you, Sarah. And we know that CIOs or chief governance officers they're not immune from the, the cycle of hype as well that people can get caught up with in a new technology. I want to go now to a sort of final round of takeaway points from each of you. Um, Andreas, I'll start with you. What would you like our audience to take away today regarding challenges and opportunities from a standards perspective? 
So I think the main takeaway is that the AI Act comes with harmonized standards. So it's it, you get the, the rules uh, to you need to comply with the AI Act. Um, then I also want to say like um, the AI Act is just uh, yes or no regarding it's safe or not safe. So I think trustworthy AI can also be an important uh, play an important role because when when you see an AI system, you just see okay, it's it's allowed regarding the AI Act or it's high risk and not. But if you have uh, additional principles, for example, like our AI trust label, you will be able to show even more about your AI system um, and how trustworthy it is. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yannick, uh, take away from you based on your experience and your lessons learned and going through this process. Well, I think it's a journey and uh, and what matters is, is to start it uh, because there's so much to be learned and uh, I think opportunities arise when you start the process and start the thinking. Um, it's not something you build on your own. Data scientists have a vision on AI that is, I think, very far from uh, what what other parts of the organization have, and they are not uh, they're not right. I think it's a co-construction, and 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 uh, building this as a, as an organization uh, is 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 the right way to do it. And and I and I think it's 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 exciting times ahead. As I said before, let's see how it goes. Sarah, a final wrap-up from you. Things are moving fast. Yeah, so um, uh, I agree with what my colleagues already said, but um, uh, I would say that uh, you don't need to be scared. Uh, you need to take this as a challenge and uh, to make uh, um, AI governance uh, as a way of making it uh, efficient, effective, uh, and then compliant. Uh, and also to uh, yes, thinking it about uh, organizations, so um, not just confine it to specific areas, uh, but to think about uh, AI governance as a whole journey, as Yannick was saying, and something that is feasible and uh, and it's an opportunity to make it better. Thank you. And Kevin, last but not least, sometimes an unenviable position to be in when everything has already been said, but what do you want people to remember from today's discussion? I mean, I think the points that um, the other panelists made are, are, are very, very important. And so I just want to stress the, the, the time component here. So after the act passes, there's going to be two years where this entire journey from starting to set up your structures, building the tech infrastructure, um, going through the process of building better, safer, more trustworthy AI, that will take time. This is not something that you can do three days before the deadline in two years. This is uh, a process, a journey you, you, you should be starting now. You should be thinking about what do I already have in my organization that might be a problem, that AI systems that I might even not be aware of that, 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 that you're running that might pose a, a risk that needs to be mitigated. So starting from that initial assessment, what do I have? What, where do I want to get to? And then building a strategy on how to get there. That will take time. And that's not something you can do you know, last minute. 
Absolutely. Well, thank you all very much for your points. Obviously, the AI Act is something we will talk about more and more in the coming weeks and months, I have no doubt. Thank you very much as well to the audience for your great and challenging questions and to Interella and Modulus for organizing this event. Remember, you can keep talking about it online. Use that hashtag AI governance, but have a great afternoon. Thank you.